that's basically the focus of everything that goes on there. How to fight as a soldier, how to fight with a rifle, how to fight uh, with your hands. And, and one of the things that you learn is how to fight with your rifle if you run out of ammunition. It's called rifle bayonet fighting techniques. And you learn how to, you know, jab and thrust and butt stroke and hit people with it. Um, and as you learn that, there comes a point where you have to, to test it to see if you've learned what you need to learn. Of course, you can't, you know, legitimately get somebody out there with a rifle and a bayonet on the end and be jabbing and butt stroking or people end up going home to the hospital. So we do pugil stick training. And pugil stick training simulates the, the rifle bayonet fighting techniques. And, and, of course, pugil sticks, you've probably seen them like on American Gladiators or something like that. It's a, it's a big stick with a lot of padding on it. It kind of looks like a big Q-tip. And it's padded on the ends in the middle. The only place that there's not padding is where you put your hands. Uh, and you put on that. You have helmets that you put on. And they get you out there. And they say, go. And, and you basically, for as long as they let you, you just well on each other. Um, and you wear helmets, so it's not like, you know, not many people get hurt. I'm going to tell you, there's, there's something pretty primal fun about just taking a stick and wailing on somebody uh, for a, a long period of time. And everybody, every soldier, they fight at least two different times. One is a one-on-one -on -one fight where you and just another guy wail on each other until they say stop or until one guy falls down and cries. And then you do a two-on-one fight where it is one guy who has to fight two different soldiers by himself to, to kind of prepare you for a situation in which you may be outnumbered or overwhelmed to see how you'll respond to it. And when it came time for that, we were watching. And the uh, first guy, I mean, they just, oh, it was bad. I mean, I just felt for the kid. They, they just beat the pudding plum out of the guy. I mean, there was nothing left of him. He was just almost in tears when it was over. And the second guy, it was the same, same story. The third guy. Same thing. They just beat the stuffing out of him. And I began to notice something. Is that the two guys always did the same thing. They got on either side of the guy so that he couldn't face them both. And they welled on him. And what the guy would do is he would try to turn back and forth and fight them both. And divided his energy and his attacks between the two people. And he was very inefficient and just resulted in him getting the stuffing beat out of him. So they called my name. I determined there was no way I was going to fight both guys like that. They were surely going to get on either side of me. And there wasn't anything I could do about that. But I could find one guy. And I would pick this one guy. And I would do everything I could to beat the stuffing out of him. While the other guy was wailing on me. So... We got out there and we went, and I'd like to tell you that, you know, I took one down, and after he was crying, I took the other one down, and he was crying, but sadly, I'm not Captain America, and that's not the way it worked. They still pretty much beat the stuffing out of me, but the one dude I focused on, he, he knew he'd been in a fight a lot more than one of, either one of the other guys had known in the other fights, and I tell you this because I think there's a principle in this, and when we try to live in victory in our spiritual life, as Christians... We have a very real spiritual enemy. We have three very real spiritual enemies, in fact. Our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. All three, constantly at work. All three with one express goal, to bring about our destruction, to lead us into sin, to cause us to go away and to not follow the Lord. And what I'm afraid that we do is that we divide our energies in ways that are unproductive. We either try to fight all three equally... Or we try to fight the wrong battle. Because out of those three, there is one that is a significantly more effective battle. 
It is one that we are certainly able to win. And it is one that if we win that battle, we will win in the other two areas. So out of the three, the world, the flesh, and the devil, where do we focus our attacks? That's what we're going to talk about today. Open your Bible to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 is where we're starting. That is on page 893 in your pew Bibles. And when you find that, I ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. Galatians 5 and 16. Say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The title of the message is Fighting the Flesh. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. God, you are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Lord, we gather today with a great desire to know how to win in our spiritual battles. We want to live in the victory that the Bible says should be and could be ours. And so, Father, we, we ask you to help us as we look at this passage to, to give us ears to hear, to let our hearts be sensitive to your voice. Let your spirit, Lord, just be able to work freely into our lives. We invite you to show us anything in our lives that's not as it should be. We ask you. Please show us anything in our lives that's not as it should be. Help us to learn from this passage what we need to do to fight the flesh so that we can live in victory over it. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech that I would say and do only what you would want said and done. I don't want to be a hindrance in any way. God, there's going to be a lot in this passage that's tough and difficult to deal with, but God, help us to to let your word be the authority in our lives. Help us, Father, not to, to exalt our preferences. Help us not to exalt our culture. But help us, Father, to exalt your word and your name and your glory above all else. Change us. Strengthen us. Save us. Restore us. And just generally have your way in us today, Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. But you may be seated. Paul, as he begins to talk about how to fight against the flesh. That's kind of what this passage is all about. He, he gives us what I would call, I guess, three keys, three aspects of what it means for us to fight against the flesh. He, he says in verses 16, 17, and 18 that, that there's a, a force at work within us, the flesh. But if we, if we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, then we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the first aspect, the first part of what we need for victory is we need the Spirit to lead us, the Spirit to guide us, for us to be surrendered to the Spirit. Second thing he talks about in verses 19 through 23 is the fact that 
It's evident in our lives when the spirit controls us and it's evident in our lives when the flesh controls us. And it's evident not because we say certain words or we we, we say the right kinds of things. It's evident because of what is visible and what is produced in our lives. And so a part of what we've got to have in this is if we're going to fight the flesh and win against the flesh, we have to be able to evaluate our lives. We have to be fruit judges to judge the fruit of our own lives. And then the last thing that he says is that those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And, and this implies effort. Yes, the Spirit will help us, but the Spirit helps us in our effort. The Spirit does not do it for us. We do not pray the sin away. We pray and then we fight. There is legitimate Effort that we have to put forth if we're to win our battle with the flesh. And so from these three aspects, here's the main idea of the message. I fight the flesh with spirit-fueled, fruit-judging effort. I fight the flesh with spirit-filled, fruit-judging effort. And and what I'm going to do, that's really the only point we have and everything else is just going to kind of elaborate a little bit on that and I want to spend some time and kind of look at each aspect of that okay so we we start with the spirit-fueled part he says in verse 16 walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh for he says in verse 17 the flesh Lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. If you've been in church very much, you've heard the flesh, the fight with the flesh, different things about it. The Bible tells us a lot about the flesh. And the flesh basically refers to our sinful nature. It refers to the part of us that rebels Against the authority of God. It is the part of us that has a propensity to say. God I know what you have said. But this is what I want to do instead. That the flesh is that part of us. That makes us bristle under someone saying. Don't do this. If, If you see a sign that says. Wet paint do not touch. And you touch it. It was your flesh that made you want to do that. It was that rebellious sinful part of you. That, that caused you to desire to do that just because you're told not to. And the Bible says that all people apart from Jesus Christ are enslaved by their flesh. It, we don't have time to go there, but take the time and read Ephesians 2 verses 1 through about 10. Verses 1 through 3 really focus on it. The idea that all people apart from Jesus Christ, they just live according to the passions and desires of their flesh. And in essence, they take no thought to what God wants them to do. They just do whatever they want to do, whatever feels good for them. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're no longer enslaved by that. Romans 6, Romans 8 tell us that we are free. Not that we no longer have to be enslaved to our sinful nature to fulfill its passions and desires. But while we are not enslaved by it, we are also not completely free from it either. Because verse 17 says that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. See, as believers in Jesus Christ, 
The Spirit of God comes and takes up residence in us and lives within us once we're saved. Every believer in Jesus Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God works within us to guide us to do the things that God would have us to do. The Holy Spirit says, do this, don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit is is always trying to pull us along the paths of righteousness for his namesake. But at the same time, while there there is that pull to do what's right for the believer, there is an equal pull, an opposite pull saying, no, don't do that. No, don't follow the Spirit's leading. No, don't go over here. No, don't do that. Yes, do this. Don't worry about that. And these two are always at work within us. The New Living Translation, um, I'm not sure if it's the current one or the one just before this, used to say that you're never free of the struggle. It's just always there. Right now, that struggle is going on within you. Now let me give you some ways that this struggle goes on with us throughout our weeks. Start with Sunday. The alarm goes off for church. The Spirit of God says, get up and go to church. Because we're not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. But the flesh, our our sinful nature says, don't do that. This is your only day to sleep in, really. You were so busy yesterday. You, You don't really need church every week. I mean, and plus... Can't you just worship Jesus anywhere? I mean, Jesus doesn't live in the church. He, he lives everywhere. The flesh will say and do anything along these lines to, to keep us from doing what he knows the Spirit wants us to do. And that is to get up and to go to church. To listen to the message. Right now, the Holy Spirit wants you to listen to what God's Word has to say to you. The Holy Spirit has things He wants to speak into your life from the Bible to strengthen, to help, to encourage, to equip you to fight against your flesh. But your flesh doesn't want you to have that. Your flesh instead is working against it. Your flesh is saying, I wonder what time we're going to get through today. The the flesh is saying, why does He wave His arms around like that? The flesh is saying... What made them think that looked good when they came out of the house this morning? The flesh is doing everything it can to cause you to focus on anything and everything except what God's Word would have you to say because He doesn't want you to hear God's Word and get anything out of it. At the end of the service, there will be a time of response. And if the Holy Spirit is dealt in your life, He's going to encourage you to make changes. He's going to have pointed out things in your life that weren't as they should be. He's going to have dealt with you and said, let go of this and start doing that. Start doing, stop doing this and, and start doing that instead. And when it comes time for the invitation, you're going to want to maybe come forward and kneel and pray. And your flesh is going to say, people will look at you. And when they see you, they're going to think, what a dirty sinner. I bet their marriage is failing. I bet that's the problem. The the flesh is going to tell you that everybody, they're focused, that all they're thinking about is you. Because you're the sun in their universe at that particular moment. So you'll say, well, I'm going to pray here at the the pew because there's nothing magical about kneeling at the altar. And as you start trying to pray and respond, the flesh is going to say, hey, what are we having for lunch? 
I wonder how long this is going to go on. What's that noise I keep hearing? And then when service is over, you're going to leave and you're going to go out. You're going to go on with your week and you're going to think about the things that the Spirit dealt with you about. And maybe some changes you need to make. And the, and the, and the flesh is going to say to you, don't you think you just kind of got caught up in an emotional moment? I mean, really, it's not like you're really all that bad. I mean, those were kind of minor things. You don't really need to worry about those right now, do you? Put them off. Deal with them later. Let that go. Because the flesh doesn't want you to make the changes that the Spirit wants you to make. This week, as you go throughout your week, something is going to happen to make you angry. And the the Spirit is going to say, be angry and sin not. Keep your anger in check. But the flesh is going to tell you, you will have a legitimate gripe. That you should be mad. You were wronged and they deserve a piece of your mind. The Spirit is going to say, you probably don't have that much to spare. Hold it in. You'll get it later. Never mind. And the flesh is going to do everything it can to cause you to react and outburst and explode in anger. At some point this week, you're going to be tempted to sin. Don't know what. But in somehow, as that temptation comes, the Holy Spirit is going to say, don't do it. There is a way of escape. Run away. And the flesh is going to say, it's not that bad. Just, just go ahead just this one time because God forgives you, doesn't he? I mean, God forgives. Man, just go for it. And if you keep resisting, the the Spirit will say, turn away, get all the way away from it. And the flesh will say, no, you're not going to take part in it, that's okay. Don't go headlong into the waters, just stand along the shore and let the waters lap up on your feet and feel the pleasure of it. Just think about it for a little while. Think about how fun it would be. Think about the pleasure you receive. It's going to do all of this because the flesh wants you to give in to that temptation and to sin against your God. This week there's going to be a time where the alarm goes off and you're supposed to get up and pray. The Spirit of God will say, get up, pray, and meet with your God. And the flesh will say, hit the snooze. you still got 45 minutes. But the flesh will say, do it again. You're really tired and think about how cranky you'll be if you don't get all the sleep you need. Think how tired you'll be if you go ahead and get up now. You you can pray later. You can make it up tomorrow. Go ahead, let it go. Because the flesh doesn't want you to commune with your God. There'll come a time where you're going to sit down and and read your Bible. The Spirit will say, turn everything off and, and just read the Word. And your flesh will say, there's a new season of Doctor Who uploaded on Netflix. Your favorite show is just about to come on. Sports Center's coming on. You can see the latest scores. Take some time and and do that. Don't worry about this. You can read your Bible tomorrow. Because the flesh, your flesh doesn't want you to read the Bible. Now, if I was a meddling preacher, which I'm not, but if I was, I would say something like, 
Wednesday night. 6, 6.30. The Spirit is going to say, go to church. Pray with your church family. And the flesh will then say, you don't need to do that. You're really busy. How many times a week do you really need church anyway? This is your me time. Enjoy it. Because your flesh does not want you to come to church on Wednesday nights. And this is the battle we're fighting. And it's not just in these things, but in so many things that are going on in our lives. These battles rage within us all the time. So what do we do? How do we overcome it? Well, Paul says that we then surrender to the Spirit. He says that that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that the lust of the flesh and the Spirit are at war within us. Now, here's a cool thing. Growing up, I either was taught or understood that the flesh and the spirit were fighting with each other. Right? And they were locked in an ultimate death match with one another. And, and the one that I cheered on, right? Like, kind of like a UFC. They were in the cage fighting and I was in the stands going, Yeah! You go spirit or you go flesh. And the one that I cheered on was the one that went to victory. Or, or you may have heard it like this, it's the flesh and the spirit are like two bulldogs in a fight and the one that wins is the one you feed. But that's really not the image here. See, the flesh and the spirit aren't fighting with one another. Because the flesh is not a match for the spirit of God. Do you know what they're wrestling with? We're, we're not the spectator in the seat. We're the one in the steel cage. The flesh is wrestling with me. Trying to control me. And the flesh is wrestling with you. Trying to control you. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit is wrestling with us. Trying to control us. And so, what's going on is, there is this struggle. The Spirit says, go here. And the flesh says, no, go there. Which one wins? It's the one I surrender to. It's the one I follow. You see, at all times in our lives as believers, we are resisting something and we are surrendering to something else. When we follow the Spirit, we walk in the Spirit, here's what we're doing. We are resisting the flesh and we are surrendering to the Spirit. But also take note, when we follow the flesh, we are actively resisting the Spirit so that we can surrender ourselves to the flesh. At all points, we are surrendering to one thing so that we can yield to another. Which one are we surrendering to? Paul says that if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Spirit of God never leads you to sin. The Spirit of God never leads you to do anything that the Word of God has said is wrong. If there is a thou shalt not in Scripture, the Spirit of God does not lead you to thou shalt. If there is a thou shalt in Scripture, the Spirit of God does not lead you to thou shalt not. 
The Spirit of God does not ever lead us to fulfill the lusts and the desires of the flesh. It always leads us in an opposite direction. And our job, if we want to be victorious in our battle with the flesh, is to surrender to the Spirit and let Him empower our effort so that we can have victory. Because a part of the idea here is that we can have victory. He doesn't say, if you, if you could walk in the Spirit, then you probably wouldn't walk in the flesh. He says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There is a, a very real statement there that means you can walk in the Spirit. You can surrender to the Spirit's leadership and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Here's what that means for us on a practical level. We have to give up the victim mentality. But we, we have to give up the slave mentality. I just couldn't help it. My friend, if you're a believer, then yes, you could. The believer in Jesus Christ does not ever have to yield to the, to the flesh. They do so because they choose to do so. If we are going to fight the flesh and walk in the spirit, the victim mentality must die within us. We must come to terms with the fact that we are responsible for our choices, our thoughts, and our actions, and our lives. No one made you blow up in anger. You chose to do it. No one caused you to cheat on your spouse. You chose to do it. Nothing forced you to look at pornography. You chose to do it. You didn't have to gossip. You chose to do it. Own it. Accept it. Let the victim mentality die an awful death. And own your responsibility and say, I can live in victory if I follow the Spirit. Now, if you never feel that pull to do what's right, that's a whole other issue. My friend, you need Jesus. You need to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. But if you're genuinely a believer, then there is always a pull to do the right thing. There is always a pull to obey Scripture, to follow Jesus, to do what you should do. And what you have to do is resist the pull to do otherwise. And submit to the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. But how do we know? How can I tell? If I'm walking in the spirit or if I'm walking in the flesh. Not because there's not like flames that appear over my head that people can see. Walking in the spirit today, I see nothing like that. How do we know? Well, that's where the fruit judging comes in. Now, when we get to this, I want to before we get into the fruit judging part, I want to be clear. There is an element in which we have to, to judge the fruit in the lives of others. But do you know where your number one responsibility lies in judging fruit? It lies with that dude you see in the mirror. It lies with that woman that you see when you get up in the morning. You look in the mirror. If you are not judging the fruit in that person's life, you need to shut up about what's going on in anybody else's life. Primarily, you need to deal with the log in your own eye. 
before you even think about messing with a speck in somebody else's. Now, this doesn't say be perfect. But it's saying if you're ignoring the works of the flesh in your life, who do you think you are? Saying something to someone else about the works of the flesh in their life. Get your house in order first. And then worry about what other people are doing. So how do we judge our lives? What do we look at? Well, Paul explains that there there are identifiable fruits or works that are produced in our lives when we're controlled by the flesh or by the spirit. And in, in Galatians 5 and 19, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, you can tell. If someone is living according to this flesh, if they are living to fulfill the lust of the flesh, it is evident, it is visible, there is no denying it. And he gives all of these sins. And I'm not going to spend just a, a great deal of time on them. I'm going to explain them and move on. Right? He, he talks about first, adultery, fornication. Both of those words deal with basically any sexual relationship outside the bonds of marriage. Any sexual relationship outside the bonds of a heterosexual marriage is adultery or fornication. The words used, also, they not only conveyed taking part in the physical acts, but being an observer. In the Roman culture, you could pay money to watch other people fornicate. And it was called pornea. Sound familiar? It's where the, the root of the word pornography So it's not only physically being sexually immoral, but watching sexual immorality or reading sexual immorality. And if I was a meddling preacher, which I'm not, but if I was, I would say, ladies, your romance novels are just as pornographic as anything on the Internet. And you need to get your house in order about that. But I'm not a meddling preacher, so I won't go there. And then he talks about uncleanness. And uncleanness, it it referred, it was a big term that referred basically to moral filth of any sort. Generally relating to sexuality, but of any sort. So it would cover things, so it would cover a broad range from not only from, say, actual sexual immorality, but to watching sexual immorality or reading about it, or even sexually explicit jokes would all fall under the the umbrella of uncleanness. Then he mentions lewdness. Lewdness, it is, I would call brashness about it. But a a lewd person is not only sexually immoral, they're sort of proud of their sexuality and what they're doing. Right there, there's no, like in Isaiah, I think, or Jeremiah, it says that the people are so far from God, they can't even blush over their sin. A lewd person, does not feel any shame about their sexual immorality. They may be proud of it. They, they flaunt it openly for the world to see. Lewdness. There is idolatry. Now, idolatry is not just bowing down to a man-made image. It's obviously a part of idolatry. But the very essence of idolatry is just putting something or someone in God's place. God is to be number one. You shall have no other gods before me. And to have anything before the Lord, any person, any activity, any thing before the Lord is idolatry. 
there is sorcery. Sorcery was witchcraft, things along those lines. In Paul's day, most sorcery involved the use of drugs, mind-altering, hallucinogenic-type drugs. So drug use would likely fall under this category. But anything that requires the spirits to guide, anything that requires the spirits to give power, anything other than the Spirit of God, that is sorcery or witchcraft. Hatred. Well, it's hating. But hatred is kind of broad because I can hate you, or I can hate y'all, or I can hate Democrats, or I can hate Republicans, or I can hate black people, or white people, or illegals. And if I hate them, that's hatred. But nope, no buts. A hatred of a person or a group of people is hatred. And it's a work of the flesh. Contentions. Contentions are stirring up strife. Right? The, the people that are rabble rousers. The people that are a cucklebar under the saddle. Where they, follow, where they go, strife follows. Did you hear what they said about you? I heard they said this. If you are a person that always likes to get everybody else stirred up, you're contentious. And that's a work of the flesh. Jealousies. Jealousies is not just saying they have something I want that I think would be cool to have. Jealousy almost makes me angry that they have it and I don't. I don't know if there's anything wrong with somebody having something cool and we think, man, I'd like to have something cool like that too. But if I begin to hate Scott because he's got an iPad and I don't have an iPad, that's a problem. That's a jealousy and it's a work of the flesh. Outbursts of wrath. Outbursts of wrath is not angry and sin not. Outbursts of wrath is angry and now everybody knows all about it. It doesn't have to be physically violent. It can be verbally violent. But it is to get angry and explode. That is an outburst of wrath and it is a work of the flesh. Selfish ambitions. Selfish ambition is the, not the desire to succeed, but really maybe the desire to succeed at any cost. Right? I will, if, if my success requires me to make you fail... So be it. If my one ambition is for others to see me and say, Woo, he's so great. That is selfish ambition. And it's a work of the flesh. Dissensions is trying to cause division. Where those who are contentious are trying to cause strife. Those who are in dissensions and heresies, both kind of the same. They are trying to cause people... To get into sides, to form cliques, to say, my group is better than your group. And my group, Jesus loves us, but Jesus doesn't care about your group. You're dirty, rotten, wicked sinners, and you'll never be saved. We're better than you. We're, we're better than you, our group is, for whatever reason. That, that is heresies and dissension. Envy, much like jealousy. Murders, well, it's killing somebody, however... 
we, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you know Jesus takes murder. And he says, well, it's not just the physical killing of the person, but the attitude behind it. If you say to your brother, you fool, or you say, raka, it's the same thing. Right? So the idea there is there's, there's anger without cause. Right? If you're angry with your brother without cause, and, and, and I always say this, but it's important. Just because they have 15 items or less, and the 10 item or less line, that's really not a cause. I mean, we might think it is, and I'll be honest with you, it feels like one in here. In here, it feels like a cause. But I'm pretty sure biblically it's not. There is a, a condemnation. You fool. I hope you go to hell. They deserve hell. That's condemnation. And then there is despising them. right? To say raka to somebody, it was like saying, I think so little of you, I'm going to spit in your face. Right? I mean, what is like the worst insult? If you had a choice, somebody slap you in the head or spit in your face, which would you take? I'll be honest with you. I'd have to let people slap me. I just don't think I could handle somebody spitting on me. That would be game over. I couldn't handle that. Right? There is such a, a level of they despise you so much to do that. And when we despise people, we are murderers. It is the same sin. The heart behind that sin. And that's a work of the flesh. Drunkenness, being intoxicated. Revelries referred to wild parties where drunkenness and immorality was involved. And the like. So this is an exhaustive list of all the things. These are things that are there when the flesh controls our life. Now Paul says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whew. So does that mean if I'm a believer and I wrestle against my flesh, but sometimes I give in to these things, I'm not going to heaven. And it's like I'm saved and I'm lost and I'm saved and I'm lost. No, that's not what it means. Here's what it does mean. It means there are times in your life where your flesh controls you and that's a problem. It means there are times in your life where you are resisting the spirit so that you can submit to the flesh. And you are defeated. And you will never be anything but defeated until you turn that around and resist the flesh and submit to the Spirit. Now, what if the Spirit's in control of our life? What's produced? Well, the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22 is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Love, the word there is agape. It's the same word used in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. It is a giving Selfless, sacrificial love for others. Not for self. <laughs> you can't look in the mirror and say, I agape you, and that'd be good. That's not a fruit of the Spirit right there. That's, enough, that's another problem. But when you agape other people, it's a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit's controlling us. Now, you think about that level of love. And, and I don't have time to go deep into all of these, but I just want you to think about that level of love. So I really think, in my mind, if agape love is produced, all the others are as well. I think it's the root fruit. Um, it's the one that, that really is the cause of all of it. That level of love that God has for us is pretty amazing. And there's no way you can do that for everybody. Right? Not on your own, you can't. Now, you might agape your, your husband, your wife, or your children. But, I mean, let's be honest. Aren't there times where you'd a whole lot rather have an outburst of wrath on them than agape them, right? Even with them, we don't agape them all the time. Now, if the Bible talked about loving as just loving those who loved us, that would be a difficult task indeed. The Bible says love those 
who hate you. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Right? So it's not just like we're to love those who love us. We're to love those whom we really don't know that well. And that would be difficult too. It's not even those that we just don't know that well. Right? That person who despises you, who hurts your feelings, who makes you want to have an outburst of wrath, God wants you to agape them just like he has agaped you. Now, can you do that one on your own? No. Not if you're being honest. That's why we need the Spirit of God to produce it. When we start feeling a love for people we really don't even like, we can start saying, God's at work in my life. Something is happening. Because two years ago, I would have punched you in the throat and laughed. But now I just feel a great sorrow for you being so bitter and angry. That's the Spirit of God at work within us. And so, let me just kind of hit on one or two of the other ones. Joy, not just happiness, but it's a joy despite our circumstances, even in the midst of troubles. Paul and Silas singing and praising God, joy. Peace, not peace from troubles, but peace in the midst of troubles. Long-suffering, long-suffering is another one that's hard like love because it, it, it's the opposite of having a short temper. A a long-suffering person puts up with people that gets on their nerves without reacting in anger. A long-suffering person doesn't blow up and yell at the other person. I mean, probably if I were to say, think of somebody that their very voice is like fingernails on the chalkboard. Right? We could all go, our mind goes to somewhere, right? How do we react towards them? Do we tell them how stupid we think we are? How stupid we think they are? How much they get on our nerves? How ignorant they seem to be? Or do we put up with them? One of those is a work of the flesh. One of those is a fruit of the Spirit. For the Spirit is long-suffering. Faithfulness. Keep your word. Do what you're supposed to do. Gentleness. right? The opposite of harshness. Self-control. We'll talk here. Self-control is basically the ability... To do what you know is right, even if you don't want to. I mean, don't we all have times where we want, we know what's right and we want to do it? That's easy. Right? There's nothing involved there. But when you know what's right, but you really want to do the opposite, that's self-control. We need it in every area of life. Right? You're on a diet and you want to lose weight and Krispy Kreme donuts are offered to you. Right? What do you do? If you have self-control, you resist them and move on down the road. If not, you eat your donuts and go, eh, that will. Well, in sin, it's the same way. There are going to be times in your life where you really want to sin. You're tempted. I mean, we're tempted by it because we really want to do it. What do we do? If we have self-control, we choose not to. There's going to be times in our life where we know what we're supposed to do. We know what God wants us to do, but we don't always want to do it. So what do we do? If we have self-control, we do it anyway. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And again, it's like love. It's consistent. It's not occasionally I have self-control. I resisted spinach this week. No, it's not self-control. I hate spinach. It's did what I was supposed to do consistently. That is something the Spirit of God produces in our life. And what we have to do, these are the two things. These are both evident in our life. So here's what we have to do. We have to be fruit judges. We have to honestly look at our lives and see which one of these we see the most of. And when I say honestly... I mean, brutally, honestly, 
Because if you're like me, you have reasons as to why your work of the flesh is not as bad as somebody else's work of the flesh. Your outburst of wrath was justified. Your envy is legitimate. Your anger was right. (laughs) They really are idiots and they ought to be told that. We are masters of self-justification. And if we're to be fruit judges that have victory over the flesh, that has to die just like the victim mentality. We have to look at our lives and the things that are produced and honestly say, this was sin. And it was a bad sin. And it's a big deal. And it's all my fault. And if you're not willing be that kind of a fruit judge for yourself, you'll never walk in victory over your flesh. You will lose every time because you will justify the things that you want to do and your flesh will control you. And you know, to do that, to do this consistently, you know what it requires? Effort. And that brings us to what we find in verse 24. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's a couple of things about this. One is notice that it's in the past tense. They, they have. It's just understood that believers in Jesus Christ understand that the acts of their sinful nature are wrong and they do their best to put them out of their lives. They, they have worked at it. Also, it says crucified. And and we know what that word means. So much so that we, we miss the significance. I mean, think about a crucifixion. It was brutal. It was bloody. It was painful. It was miserable. It was just bad all around. And that's what we're to do to our sinful nature. But Paul said in the passage in Romans that I read at the start of service that By the Spirit, we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Baptist pastor John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. It's the image. The the fight with sin, with our sinful nature, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pleasant. It's going to take effort. Effort and determination and and the kind of imagery that the Bible uses is death and crucifixion. Jesus talking about gouge out your eyes if it's causing you to sin. Cut off your hand. It's effort. I mean, that is legitimately doing whatever it takes to put the sin out of my life. And even when I want it there, that's the thing. It's easy to put the sin we don't like out of our lives. But that's not what we're to do. Just that we are to crucify all of the sin. Even the stuff we really, really like. That has to be crucified and killed as well. And an unwillingness to do that. Consigns us to perpetual defeat in our spiritual lives. And I think the very essence of what it means to crucify the flesh first is just to, to deny ourselves. 
Because we're tempted by it because we want to do it. And so we have to deny ourselves that pleasure. We have to deny ourselves that immediate pleasure that comes from sin. And, and I mean, listen, that's not really second level stuff. That's not spiritual superhero stuff. When Jesus called on people to follow him, what did he say? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Daily. Follow me. I mean, the basics. Jesus said entry level stuff. To experiencing all that I have. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Daily. Follow me. This is the basics of Christianity. This isn't radical. This isn't revolutionary. This is kindergarten level stuff. But it's stuff we miss. And we are an indulgent culture. We deserve it. We want it. We're not hurting anybody else with it. It's my right. Who are you? And an indulgent culture has a significant problem denying themselves anything. But we still must. We must rise above the culture we live in. We must rise above the desires of our flesh. We must rise above the morals of our culture and say, no. I'm going to deny myself these things because my Savior does not want me to take part in them. If we will not deny them, we will not crucify them. If we will not crucify them, we will never have victory over them. It's necessary. And one last thing before we close. It's really getting hard now. Crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Oh man. It's not enough to crucify the acts of the flesh. We have to crucify the desires of the flesh. Let me give you some examples. You find out some really juicy gossip. But you don't tell nobody. You've denied the act. And you've crucified the act. But if you consistently think about it. And enjoy that good gossip. You have not crucified. Denied the passion and desire of that sin. And do you know what happens the longer you indulge in the passion and the desire of that sin? Eventually, you take part in the action of that sin. If you're tempted to cheat on your spouse and you resist, you have denied the action. You have crucified that action. But if you then begin to think about how pleasurable that would be, You are not denying and crucifying its passions and desires. And the longer you think about those passions and desires, the more likely you are to take part in the action. It is not enough to just not do the action. You must do your dead level best to put to death the passion and the desire as well. That's difficult, I know. Because 
You can't stop a thought from coming into your head any more than I can, can you? If anger wells up within your mind and a snarky comment is there, hateful, despicable thing to say to somebody, it's there and it just pops up. You can't just not think it. But you can keep from saying it. And you can keep from thinking on it. You may not be able to stop the initial thought. But you can stop the continual dwelling on it. You may not be able to stop the initial temptation. But you do not have to think about how pleasurable that temptation would be. You deny not just the act. But the passion and the desire of that sin as well. And if you won't, you will not win. I mean, we know this, right? How many times in your life have you been angry and you held it? Didn't, didn't blow up, but you kept thinking about it. And the more you thought about it, what happened? Did it just suddenly go away and get better? Or did you just get angrier and angrier? And if you didn't do something about that and get rid of it, what did you eventually do? It came out somewhere, didn't it? And it's true in any temptation, with any sin. If we do not deal with the passion and the desire, we will take part in the act. It's guaranteed. And this, oh mercy, this all takes effort. Because this isn't a once for all deal. You're going to have to fight this battle every day of your life. You're going to have to fight this battle multiple times every day of your life. You're going to have to put forth kin, kin, sin-killing effort all day long. Every day of your life. Certainly the Holy Spirit will fuel that effort. The Holy Spirit will help you and enable you. But in the end, effort from you is always required. And if we don't do it, there's no victory. I think one of the problems with fighting sin and fighting the flesh and trying to live in victory is that as Christians, we, we do fight the wrong battle. We want to read books about how to bind the devil and cast the devil out. Right? We, we want the spectacular stuff that you can put as a Facebook status that sounds really cool. Wow, that's powerful. We want something that sounds snazzy. We want something that makes us feel strong and mighty. So we go for the spectacular, fighting the devil. Or we focus on the world and we put all of our eggs in the basket of a political party and we fight that battle. And we fight that issue. And do you know why we do it? It's because those are significantly easier to do than just to deal with the stuff going on in our own hearts. What's easier to read a book about how to bind the devil in three easy steps or look at your own life to see if you're like the works of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit evident? What's easier, to sign a petition and boycott a store or to put forth the effort to crucify your flesh day in and day out? Here's the facts. 
If you don't fight the right battle, you'll never win. If you don't win the battle in here, the other battles don't matter. Because if you don't win the battle in here, you'll not win the battle out there. But if you win the battle in here first, you will win the battle out there. If you consistently fight the flesh, spirit-fueled fruit-judging effort, you'll also overcome your great adversary, the devil. You'll also overcome the world and not take part in its love and its desires. First and foremost, you fight the battle within. And everything else will fall into place. Let's stand as our musicians come forward for a verse.